was the first stage of us inviting, extending our reach as a campaign. And the first stage of that, um, we revealed a major component in what would be happening for us this year, which was um, our partnership with Birmingham Theological Seminary. And that's actually what, if you remember last week, what Pastor Ike Reeder spoke about. He's the president of BTS. Um, and he spoke so well last week that he actually encouraged me to um, just kind of change what we were talking about this week. We were going to finish this week um, on Genesis and then really hit hard next week in extending our reach. But he spoke so well that it actually encouraged me to just continue on what he spoke about. And so that's what we're going to do. And he touched on it heavily last week when he said, in as much as extending our reach is about us, it is about the people that we are and and who we're extending to, it is, it is more about the people who we come across every day, whether it's at work, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's in our, own, in our own household. It's about those people that we see every day. And are we demonstrating to them a life transformed by the gospel? But not only are we demonstrating a life transformed by the gospel, but are we allowing their lives to be likewise transformed by the gospel? Are we sharing and spreading the gospel to those around us? And so uh, today will be a challenge. Today will be a challenge. More than it's just a sermon, it will be a challenge. It will be a challenge for me. It will be a challenge for this congregation. Um, and the, the challenge is just the title of the sermon. Whose feet are you washing? Whose feet are you washing? Join with me, if you will, to the book of John. As I briefly mentioned this last week, I was encouraged to continue and go a little bit further this week. In the book of John, chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen for the reading of, of God's word. Like I said, I briefly mentioned this scripture on last Sunday, but I really wanted to expound on what's going on here. So what we have happening here is on Thursday night, the last, the final supper that Jesus will have with his disciples and Judas. As they got done eating, as they're reclining together, Jesus does something quite strange. He takes off his outer garment and then he bends down and he begins washing their feet. Now, at this point, Jesus knows full well that he's about to be handed over to death by Judas. He knows exactly what's about to happen. And for some reason, out of nowhere, he starts washing their feet. And when, he, and when Peter sees this, Peter literally has a come apart. He cannot rationalize this. He cannot reason this because just in case you don't understand, feet washing wasn't just for the servant. It wasn't just for the slave, but it was for the lowest of the low. Like even the worst slave didn't wash anybody's feet. It was just too disrespectful. And because they lived in such a dusty climate, they would walk around with dirt and dust on their feet all the time. This is always what happened with them. And so when he sees Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, he can't comprehend exactly what Jesus is doing. See, he washed the other disciples' feet as well. And while they may have felt confusion, embarrassment, and even shame... None of them was willing to speak up about it. But Peter was. Why is he speaking up? Because Jesus is not a slave. Jesus is no servant. Jesus certainly shouldn't be on the ground taking off his his outer garment and washing the feet of these disciples. Even when John the Baptist speaks of Jesus, he says, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals. Because people just didn't deal with feet in that culture. But notice what John wouldn't even say. John wouldn't even say I'm not worthy of washing his feet. Because he wouldn't even bring that into the context. He just said I won't even unlatch his sandals. Which means Jesus is going to a step of humility that most of us are not willing to go. Certainly not in that context. See... To deal with the feet of somebody meant that you were on the lowest rung of society. No one cared about you. No one cared about who you were. Nobody cared about your social status. Because to wash the feet of someone literally meant that you were nothing. See, this is more than just doing good deeds for people. But what Jesus is demonstrating is to perform the greatest deed of all. Listen, Peter cannot reconcile Jesus doing this, so he confronts him, as Peter's always want to do. What does he say? You shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. He rebukes Jesus. Remember, this is not the first time Peter has rebuked Jesus when Jesus tells them, listen, I'm going to have to go to a cross and I'm going to have to die for, your, for the sins of the world. Peter rebukes him again and then Jesus calls him Satan. 
And here again, we see Jesus gives him a stern rebuttal. When he says, you won't wash my feet, what does Jesus say? He then flips the script and says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Peter is still missing it, though. So what is Jesus doing here? It brings us to the first point. Point number one. His humility cleanses us. It is the humility of Christ that cleanses us. What does that mean? Jesus is not only cleansing their feet, but he is demonstrating to us that he will cleanse us all. When he tells Peter that unless he cleanses him, that he won't have any any part, then Peter says, well, if that's the case, then just clean my whole body, Jesus. What? See, he's still missing it. See, at this point, all that Peter is concerned about is selfish gain. And so when Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Peter says, well, I don't want to lose my spot in eternity. I don't want to lose my spot in heaven, even though I don't completely get what you're talking about. Just wash my whole body so I don't lose my spot. See, at this point, Peter is still thinking about himself. It is all about him. I don't want to lose my spot. But he's still missing it. See, Jesus washing here is multi-symbolic. When he says, unless I cleanse you, you have no part with me. He is saying, unless I clean you up from the inside out, you have no share with me. In fact, unless I clean you, you will never actually be clean in the first place. Unless I sanctify you, unless I cleanse you, unless I purify you, unless I do the work, there is never an opportunity for you to ever be clean. See, he is telling Peter that if you think washing feet is beneath me, then you don't have a clue what I came to do. You you think washing feet It's beneath the Savior. But here he stands on the day before he is given a fake trial, getting ready to go to the cross to be crucified for the sins of us all, even the people who were rejecting him. And he's like, you think washing feet is beneath me? Do you not realize that I'm about to hang on a cross and be spat on and be ridiculed by people who claim to know who my father is? If you think washing feet is beneath me, you have no clue what I came to do. See, that is the reality is that we all must face this. We cannot, in effect, have the Jesus on the cross if we don't have the Jesus that's in the dirt washing the filthy, sinful feet of his disciples. Not just his disciples only, though, but he's washing the feet of his very betrayer. The man that's going to sell him so that he'll be committed to death. Yet Jesus does not consider it beneath him to do it. See, This is the wrench for most of us who come to Christ merely for position or authority. When Jesus was here, he humbled himself. 
How did he humble himself? The Bible tells us that he emptied himself. What does Philippians 2 and 3 says? It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Who did that? Jesus did that. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And this is the kicker. Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What I can't rationalize is people who say that they are so vastly moved by the Spirit, so vastly moved by Jesus Christ, yet do not demonstrate a life transformed by that Spirit. How is it that we can be moved by Him but not changed by Him? Listen, He did not come to be served. He didn't come so that people would carry his Bible. He didn't come so that people would drive him all around to his different appointments. He didn't come to be served. The Son of Man came to serve. How is it that we have turned this pulpit into our glorious throne by which you all bow and kiss our rings and bow at our feet? Yet Jesus was the one who bowed at everybody else's feet. Now, I pointed this out last week, and I don't want us to miss it. See, Jesus' call was for us all to be willing to serve those around us. Count the the other interests of people around you more than your own. See, this is the other symbolism here, and this is why he addresses Peter the way that he does. Peter is upset that he sees Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Why is he upset? Because he believes Jesus is above that. You're above that, Jesus. You shouldn't be washing their feet. Listen, in the context, just so you understand, because we we don't have the full context. Not only was it like completely beneath a person to wash somebody's feet. You certainly wouldn't wash the feet of your peers. You certainly wouldn't take a lower social status to your peers, so you definitely wouldn't wash their feet. Yet he looks over, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is not only, though, washing the feet of his peers. He is not only washing the feet of his friends, but he's also washing the feet of his enemies. See, Jesus has the full knowledge of who his enemy is, yet he washes his feet. See, Jesus knows that when Peter speaks, it's always his heart that's speaking. When he says, you shall never wash my feet, you know what he's really saying? I shall never wash anybody's feet. 
That's what he's really saying. Because if you are showing me that you are willing to wash the feet of somebody else, that means that you have that same expectation of me. Which is why when Jesus says, I must go to a cross to die, Peter is not as concerned about Jesus going to a cross. He's concerned about the fact that maybe I'm going to have to go to a cross. Because remember, everything that Jesus did, they were to follow the example as are we. And when he sees Jesus on a cross, when he sees Jesus in the dirt washing feet, he then sees that I have to be the one that does the exact same thing that Jesus is doing. And he doesn't want to do that. Listen, you think that's just Peter? That's all of us. That's every one of us. None of us wants to actually get down in the dirt, in the filth, and witness to the laws. But that is the charge. That is the call. And if you are a Christian who is not constantly witnessing, you should reevaluate if you're a Christian at all. The Son of Man came not to be served, but he came to serve. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. So what are we doing? See, you must be willing to wash the feet of everyone. See, when Peter sees Jesus washing the feet of his peers, you know Peter has a problem with it. See, Peter is perfectly fine. He can rationalize, yeah, Jesus, I'll wash your feet. Like he knows he's the one who identifies him as the Messiah, as the son of God. And and Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Peter knows exactly who Jesus is. So he's willing to wash the feet of Jesus. But you know whose feet he wouldn't have washed? James, John, Andrew, his brother, certainly not Judas. And so I want you to think about this. Peter loved Jesus. He would have washed his feet. He loved the disciples. And he knows that Jesus loved the disciples. Yet, that love was not a strong enough conviction for him to wash their feet. See, if Peter is unwilling to wash the feet of those whom he loves and who love him, then guess what? He will never wash the feet of his enemies. That's the challenge. That's the challenge for all of us. Because if there is anybody who is an enemy of ours, because we are Christians, we should be washing their feet. What does washing their feet mean in this context? We should be presenting the gospel to them. And so that brings us to point number two today. This is a very introspective point. It is a challenging point. It was challenging for me. It is challenging for me. Point number two. Who are you avoiding? Who are you avoiding? All right. After Jesus washed the feet of them all, he asked them a question. Do you understand what I've done to you? I have given you an example to follow and you aren't greater than I am. Serve those around you. What is this example though? Jesus knows full well that Judas is not a legitimate disciple. He's a counterfeit. 
Of all those being cleansed, he is the one. When Jesus says, not every one of you is clean, Judas is the one that isn't clean. John understands this in hindsight as he writes, and he knows that Judas is the one who wasn't clean. So what did Jesus do? Did Jesus do like we do? Does he avoid Judas? No. Does he ridicule Judas? Nope. Does he argue with Judas? He doesn't. What does he do? He served him. He serves him. He gave Judas the same opportunity to be cleansed that he gave the rest of the disciples. And I think we all know this here. Nobody needed to be cleaner than Judas. He was the filthiest one in the room. That's why he needed his feet washed. That's why he needed to be served. That's why he needed to be cleansed. Because everything that he was doing was a product of the filth in his heart. Listen, there are probably people around all of us that we are frustrated by. Lord knows I am. They don't like us and we don't like them. They may agitate you. They may aggravate you. They may annoy you. They may frustrate you. But if you know that they are the way they are. Because they are unsaved enemies of God. Let me ask you this question. What do you gain by ignoring them? What do you gain by ignoring them? Better question. What are they losing out on because you're ignoring them? Listen, just this past week, I posted something on Facebook. And anybody who sees anything I post on Facebook know that I always post these very gospel-centered things that are intentionally to agitate people, to aggravate people who may not believe in the gospel. That's why I post it. So that I can have a correspondence with them. Now, just this past week, a person that I do in fact know responded and was very angry. And they berated me. I mean, they berated me. And I'm like laughing the whole time. But I'm getting berated. And so I have a typical response when I handle these things. I say my spiel and I remove them as a friend. Because as I famously said, this is my Facebook. I ain't got to keep nobody on Facebook that I want to keep on there. And so that is naturally what I do. But that happened after I had already prepared this sermon. And so I was convicted. And I was even going to tell her, by the way, this is going to be your last comment because I'm going to delete you. But then I realized something. If I remove this person, if I disconnect myself from this person, how can I then get the gospel to this person? See, I was taking what I thought was a very reasonable pathway. I'm confrontational enough, but not too confrontational to the point that I actually do something about it. And so I wanted to say what I wanted to say and then get out and let you deal with it. But if the end game is not just to agitate people, but to draw them to Christ... We should be having these gospel-centered 
conversations that absolutely aggravate people, that absolutely agitate people, but that have a means to an end. How by agitating you have I not given you the gospel? And if I remove myself from you because of something I said, I'm preventing the opportunity to disciple you, to evangelize. Listen, the Bible warns us that we have this treasure hidden in earthen vessels and this truth and revelation of the gospel is in us. And it warns us if the gospel is hidden, if we shut our mouths about the gospel, if we are not willing to serve those around us, if we are not willing to wash the feet of those around us, the gospel is hidden to those who are perishing. It is hidden to those who are lost. See, the call is not just to serve those whom we serve alongside, but it is to reach those difficult family members around us. It is to reach after those who we think are lost and give them the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. I met with the uh, principal of our school recently. We had these end of the semester meetings and it was very encouraging to me, not because of anything I particularly do, but just because he says, Brandon, one thing I will know is that you don't assume anybody is a Christian. I said, you were exactly right. He said, whether it's students or coworkers, anytime he walks in a room, he hears me sharing some kind of biblical truth. And I told him, that's because I don't want to ever assume just because you walk the walk, just because you talk the talk, that you were living the life that you were supposed to live. And I will extend every opportunity I have to have a gospel-centered conversation with somebody, because I don't know if I ever see that somebody again. Listen, the call is not just to serve them. We think it's an easy call. We think it's an easy serve. But what did Paul say? Paul said, to the weak I became as weak. I was willing to look weak, though I was strong, in front of people who were weak, so that through that weakness I would draw them to the faith. He says, I'm culturally a Jew, though I've been removed from that and I'm no longer under the law. But guess what I did to draw those who were still under the law? I acted as if I was still under the law so that I could have a conversation with them and draw them into Christ. He then says, I made myself all things to all people that by all means I might draw some. Which means, even when we bend over backwards to get people the gospel, we're still only going to get a fraction of the people to Christ. Most of us know we're not bending over backwards. We're not even bending. We're not willing to. Because unless they come in the church building... Unless they come in here, unless they're all sweet and all this and all that, we're not really willing to have a gospel-centered conversation with somebody. We just know they get on our nerves. We just know they agitate us. But that is our charge. Who have we exhausted all of the resources that we have to make sure that they are saved? That is our charge. 
We are called to do everything we possibly can in order to reach anyone that we possibly can. Let me ask you this question. Who do you love too much to tell them the truth? Who in your family that you know is not living the way they're supposed to live? That you know is not actually a Christian? That you love entirely too much to tell them the truth? What relationship are you unwilling to disturb? Because it's a good pipeline for you. Because you don't want to lose your job. Because you don't want to lose some money. Because you don't want to damage a relationship. Listen. There's nobody you love that much. Let me tell you why. There is no one that you can actually love as much as you claim to love that you would rather them spend an eternity in hell than have an uncomfortable conversation with them. You don't love that person. You love you. It's not about them being uncomfortable. You don't want to be uncomfortable. And so what do we do? We hide this treasure. We hide the gospel. Listen, do you remember when Jonah is told, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell those people they ain't living right? What did he do? He ran. Did he run because he loved them? <laughs> no. He ran because he loved him. He didn't want to have those conversations. He didn't want to preach that sermon. He didn't want to tell them the judgment that God told them was coming on them. So what did he do? Instead of telling them the truth, he ran. Because he knew that he'd be ridiculed. He knew that he'd be persecuted. We must love God's work so much that we are willing to have any uncomfortable conversation we need to have in order that we see them drawn to Christ. That's it. And that brings us to point number three. Jesus gave us the example. Jesus gave us the example. When Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, he set in motion what we should all be doing in our faith. I've seen many people in many local churches when I would go out with the homeless people and I would see them literally, literally washing the people's feet. Like they would literally have a foot washing. And you're like, oh, that's good. You know, I went to a Baptist church. We used to wash people's feet. Y'all can wash people's feet all you want. I ain't washing nobody's feet unless the Lord himself comes in the brick and says, Brandon, wash the literal feet of somebody. I ain't wash nobody's feet. Now, it's a different cultural context for us. He doesn't literally mean for us to just wash their feet. He means for us to go out and witness to them, love on them, serve them, give them the truth, give them the gospel, see that they are saved, do whatever we need to do, disciple them, evangelize them, spend time around them, absorb their their odors, whatever the case may be, that we are serving them more than we are serving ourselves. That is the call. And so what he's saying is that he is not above ministering to everybody and so should we not be. We cannot be above serving anybody. They need to be cleansed. 
And so we can't wait and sit around and wonder if somebody else is going to give them the gospel that we have. We must go out and give them the gospel. I don't care how dangerous the neighborhood is. I don't care how dangerous the person is. If you are not willing to lose your life, then you haven't already given your life. That's the call, people. Listen. We must be willing to look stupid. We must be willing to look foolish. We must be willing to be persecuted, to be ridiculed, to get down in the dirt. We are not greater than our master. We are not greater than our teacher. My prayer is that God will remove all of the pretense and self-centeredness that calls itself the church. Remind us that in order for us to give more people the gospel, we must be willing to give God more of ourselves. We must be willing to be vulnerable. We must be willing to expose ourselves. We must be willing to be ridiculed, persecuted. We must be willing to get dirty, to get filthy, so that other people will be clean from the inside out. Listen. Ours is not a clean religion. It is not a sanitary faith. It is held together by a beaten, bloody Savior who was nailed to the cross with nails that were as long as nine inches. It's not clean. So why do we need to be all polished? Nails need to be all perfected and makeup needs to be well done in order for us to even come to the church. If we have a bad hair day, we won't even show up. I'm grateful to God that Jesus didn't have a bad hair day the day he was supposed to go to the cross. See, in as much as we think that he's just the Jesus on the cross. We want that Savior on that cross. We need him. But we cannot have the Savior on the cross if we don't have him on the ground washing the feet of not only his disciples, but his enemies as well. Now, why is Jesus able to intercede for his enemies as he was dying on the cross and he screams, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Because the Son of Man, the Son of God, came to seek and to save that which is lost. Whose feet are you washing? Whose feet are you washing? This is not time for playing, all right? I understand it's a new year. I understand we're going to 2020. I don't know who's going to make it in who's going to make it out. Whose feet are you washing? Who are you telling about the Lord? I mean, real truth about him, not pacifying them. Who are you telling about the Lord? Who are you getting the gospel to? Who do you pray want to be saved? Those people in your house or those people in your family, those people on your job. Don't just pray for them. Talk to them. How many gospel center conversations have you had? And that's a real question. I want you to look at yourself. Okay, I call myself a Christian. Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? How many gospel conversations have you had? 
How many times have we confronted people with the gospel when we were actually aggravated? Or when we were hurt? Or when we were offended? Instead of giving them our opinion, we gave them the gospel. Instead of ridiculing them, we gave them an opportunity for salvation. How many times when we were hurt, when we were sad, when we were broken, and it was an offense that happened by somebody else, then instead of trying to offend them, we gave them the gospel. Think about this. What if someone's eternity is dependent on you telling them the truth? And you don't know it. Giving them the gospel and washing their feet. Are we above getting the gospel into the hands of more people? Certainly not. For if we, if he were willing to go to a cross for those whom he knew would never accept him, then we should be willing to extend every opportunity to people that we don't have a clue about. Jesus went to a cross and he knew trillions, hundreds of trillions of people would never accept what he did, yet he did it anyway. He knew what he was doing for Judas wouldn't make Judas right, but he did it anyway. We don't have a clue what people's end will be. Why are we withhold telling them the truth? Are we willing to have blood on our hands? This is the challenge. <clears throat> have a gospel-centered conversation with someone. And when I mean have a gospel-centered conversation, it can be anyone. And it can be anywhere. But there are people around us, all of us, every day who need to be washed and cleansed. This is the charge. This is the last Sunday we have. Wednesday will be a new year. Which will be the first week. That's our first official week. This is the charge. We have some booklets now. Y'all remember these, so we have more of these on the way. But we also have these booklets now. On the front of them, they say, Extending Our Reach. On the back, it says, Victory City. On this part, when you open it, you'll notice that it's got pages. And you can do myriad things with them. You can take notes. That's fine. But this is what I really want these to serve as. You have 52 weeks in 2020. Same amount you've had every year. All I'm asking you to do is commit to having one gospel-centered conversation a week. And this is what these will do. When you have that conversation, I want you to be intentional about having that conversation. You're going to write down the name of that person. After you have that conversation, you're going to write about what you talked about. And I want you to document, how did it go? Say it went well. It didn't go well. Listen, I'm trying to share the gospel with somebody at Buffalo Wild Wings one day, the waitress, and I promise you, she ran away. Like, and so what I'm going to put on there, she ran away. Like, it's like you document it, but then you don't just leave it there. Did you pray for that person? What did you do? 
I left her a note. She was scared. And I don't know what had happened in her past, but she was running. And so on the back of the receipt, I wrote her a note. And I told her where the church was, and now I was praying for her. I'm documenting that. I ran to somebody at Walmart. And they said, when you run to Brandon Knight at Walmart, and he starts preaching to you. That's what I did for 30 minutes. I'm putting that in here. That I had a gospel-centered conversation. At work, I'm writing every one of them down. That we are having gospel-centered conversations with people. This is not just, hey, come to my church. This is, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the Lord. I share my testimony. I just had a conversation about, with, about him with them. I just told them, listen, just trust God. I gave them scripture. Whatever the case is, I'm not trying to tell you to be all eloquent, and I'm not trying to tell you you need to be a theologian. I'm just saying, have a conversation with somebody. And then write it down. These booklets are going to be sitting in the back after church. And if you are going to be committed, committed to seeing people saved, I want you to write in these and document these. Finally, do you think that this encounter that Peter has changed him? You better believe it changed him. 1 Peter 4 and 8. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, as we all have received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Not your opinion. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, not your own strength. But watch this. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That brings us to the final point. And the final point, just in case you don't know, the final point is the sermon title from last week. Love that lasts. Peter writes, having seen the efficacious love of Christ, not only wash feet, not only confront sin, not only raise the dead, not only heal the sick, but he saw that love drive an innocent man to the cross. Seeing that, he challenges us all to keep loving one another earnestly. Why? That love we have will cause us to overlook any wrongdoings, any grievances, any past hurts, any offenses that we may suffer from our brothers and sisters. Why? Why do we act that way? Because the Bible tells us, while we were yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us. Jesus was willing to go to a cross for us while we rejected him, while we mocked him. It wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. Love held him. Love held him to the cross. And so my challenge to you is that when you go back out and as you are sharing with people and as you are getting mocked, as you are getting ridiculed, don't get off the cross. 
Let love hold you there. Take the abuses. Take the ridicule. Be made fun of. So that he'll be glorified. And at the end, that they will be saved. We must overcome the hatred and the abuses that may be spewed at us. And we must let love persevere.